Captain, we have them. We've established Transporter Lock, the Star Trek Discovery podcast. Join Ken and Sabriel each week as they explore strange new episodes, seek out new plots and new characters, and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Hello and welcome to Transporter Lock, episode number 46 for December 2019. I'm your co-host, Chief Engineer, Ken Gagney. And I am Captain Sabriel. Hello, Captain, and happy holidays to you. So we are very fortunate to have a holiday cornucopia of Star Trek short treks this month. We have not just one, but two, count them, two episodes that were released simultaneously. It's almost like they want us to binge on these five-minute episodes. My goodness. (laughs) Yeah, and these two episodes were very different from anything we've had. Well, quite different from most things we've had before. And in many ways, they were even quite different from each other. And so we are nonetheless going to compare and contrast both of them in just one episode of Transporter Lock. Let's begin. Which short did you watch first, Brie? Well, I watched Ephraim and Dot, but that only because it was first in my listing. Yes, I started there as well because CBS All Access suggested that that one came first. So I think you can really watch them in either order, though. I doubt it matters. Oh, they are not related. I mean, if they are related at all, it is going to be something that is not revealed for a while from now, for a while. We didn't coordinate beforehand which of us is going to do the TLDR for which one. So who gets to do Ephraim and Dot? I don't know if we need to do a TLDR this time. Oh, but it's one of our favorite parts of the show. Uh, yeah. Oh. Well, if you're not going to do it, I'll just do both. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. That's not equitable. <laughs> I have to do all the work around here. Making, my, making your life harder. And loving it. <laughs> you know, right. if we do a TLDR for these, basically you're just going to run over the whole episode. Are we? No. I'll make it really <laughs> I fast. Would. I would. <laughs> Ephraim and Dot is an animated short about a tardigrade who is looking for a place to lay its eggs and decides that the NCC-1701 original Enterprise is the best place to do it. So it sneaks in, but this guard bot decides that the tardigrade doesn't belong there, which it doesn't, and it continuously evicts the tardigrade from the Enterprise, keeping it away from the eggs it has laid until finally the Enterprise blows up and the robot realizes just beforehand what it was the tardigrade was doing and it saves the eggs. So everybody is reunited at the end. The bot, the tardigrade, (laughs) and the babies are all happy together. Did you recognize the bot? Should I? It was one of the Star Trek R2 units they created for Discovery. They're called Dot. And they have a fancy name, but they're called Dot. That's why this one's called Dot. When did we see that? Was that in the season two that was, finale? That was, yeah, they were out there on the repairing. They were on the repairing, yes. Uh, they were repairing uh, the Enterprise. Maybe it was Discovery, one of those two. And we also saw them on one of the short treks. Uh, That's right. During the Discovery battle with Section 31, they were out there, right? Yeah, yeah. This kind of reminds me how the movie Tron had the spider bots that showed up in one scene but had no bearing on the plot whatsoever. And the only reason they were there was so that they could appear in the video game. I feel like those are two (laughs) bots showed up in Discovery so that they could use them later. Oh, man. If I can get some merchandising for those cute little dots. (laughs) What's not to love? They make great stocking stuffers. (laughs) So what was your impression of the animated short Ephraim and Dot? I had so much fun with this. Uh, Uh... The TLDR skips a lot. I mean, it has to, because otherwise it's not a TLDR. It skips a lot of the, <laughs> some of the fun little things about this. It opens up, like, kind of like, um, oh, wow, we saw something like this before where they pretend that it's, um, 
an old old sci-fi show from like the 1950s black and white on film like we all watched in class when we were a little well people of our age <laughs> watched in class <laughs> when we were older and it goes it's black and white and it it's actually i found this i would not have known this if it were not for reddit um this person who narrates at the beginning and then later goes oh um was actually um punk guy on bus in star trek 4 and punk guy really? in street in in um spider-man homecoming i think yeah Wow, yeah, I remember he recently was in the news for some other role he had had. I didn't know that he was also doing the voiceover here. How cool of them to bring back talent like that. Yeah, that's fun. I mean, that's a fun little nod that you would not know in a million years unless you look, looked it up or they told you. I mean, unless you happen to know the guy's name <laughs> and saw him in the credits. I mean, most of us, like, I love Star Trek Four. I had no idea. I wouldn't recognize his voice, especially 40 years later, 30 years later. No, and I confess that I did not look up the credits for either of these shorts that we watched. So if there was familiar talent in there, I can't tell you what else they've done. I can tell you. Uh, well, also, we might as well just get to it right away. Um, this was directed by Michael Giacchino. Uh, I think that's how you pronounce his last name. Uh, that name might be familiar if you've ever listened to Star Trek uh, the reboot movies, music. He's the guy who did the music for those movies. And he directed this one and did the music. Oh, wow. Yeah, I have the soundtrack from one of the movies. I think the 2009 one. I was trying to figure out where that name rang a bell from. It's my iTunes listing. He shows up in there. Yeah. He's also done things like Doctor Strange, like Star Wars Rogue One, uh, Lost. He's worked with J.J. Abrams a lot. And now he did uh, this. He directed this short. Well, he is quite a versatile performer. Yeah, I think this is his directorial debut, if I remember correctly. I'm not 100% sure on that, though. And it was an animated episode. How cool. Yeah. I mean, there was so much little fun stuff here. We saw, um, as the as Dot is chasing, I'm guessing Ephraim, they've named it for the cartoon, is chasing the tardigrade around the ship. They show various scenes, like a Wrath of Khan scene, where uh, McCoy and Kirk are talking to Khan in sickbay. Or uh, one of the earlier episodes, they bumps backwards in time. Uh, they're kind of all over the place. All of a sudden, you see uh, um, Sulu, without a shirt on, pointing his uh, rapier at some of the crew members. Or um, You see a giant green hand trying to capture the Enterprise. You see Abraham oh, yeah. Lincoln in space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that Khan scene was from Space Seed. Yeah, it was. And we also saw um, triples fly out of a corridor. And as it's going through this timeline, first it's kind of bouncing around, which, to be honest, the star dates are all made up stuff and they were very inconsistent anyway. So whatever, if you're trying to go for authenticity. But then it starts going into like, oh, that's the Reliant fighting the Enterprise. And then this is the moment where I'm like, my heart sank because I knew it was coming next. And because like Star Trek Three is where the Enterprise blows up, <laughs> and I'm like my heart sank when I had that realization. And then a few moments later, they're going through Dot and Ephraim are, are having this really cool fight scene in engineering with the um, Amic Time battle music, uh, a, a version of that with a da 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 da. You know it, and um, they're fighting, and then all of a sudden you hear self destruct system activated. Like no. <laughs> And a uh, little dot saves the eggs, but uh, I'm happy. I'm happy there was a happy ending for them, even if it was not the happy ending for the Enterprise or all her service. This episode spanned almost the entire life of the original Enterprise because during that black and white documentary opening, we see the salt monster from the very first episode of TOS, 
And then, as you just said, it ends with the Enterprise blowing up. So this spans multiple years that the tardigrade is laying eggs and then chasing eggs. I don't know how long the incubation period is for a tardigrade egg, but it apparently is quite prolonged. If you want to try your best to try to make this canon, <laughs> um, at the opening thing when Punk Guy on Bus is talking, he mentions that they have a, a long, uh, they have they take a long time before they're hatched. This is true. And also, and when the Enterprise first shows up and we see that scene from Space Seed, that suggests that this episode, this animated episode, starts at least like say a decade after discovery so at this point tardigrades are already known to the starfleet but they've probably buried that information at the end of season two when they said let's let us never speak of this ever again yeah and there's also problems if you try to make this canon if you try to make it fit the opening thing also talks about the mycelial network like that was top secret information that was like basically locked away oh right so like i think the best to just approach this for what it is it's a fun little cartoon i think I was thinking about this and like both these cartoons, just more this one than the other one, or even like the Tribbles thing we had last time or before. It, it's almost like a first time, this, this little short Trek seasons, I had the first time where we got things that really are officially produced, feel like non-canon material, which is really hard for some Trekkies to brace <laughs> or uh, embrace. Uh, I was reading some forums earlier and... There are a bunch of people who's like, I don't know what this is for. This doesn't make any sense at all. This is not for me. And then I've had another poster, which is a really sweet moment. I'm talking about watching both of these. He's like, you know, it's not for me, and that's okay. There was a little he said there was a little girl over when he was trying to watch, like like a family event. And she's never really seemed to care about Star Trek until she saw this. She watched these. Apparently she, apparently during that event, she watched them over these two episodes over and over and over again. And he said when they that family was leaving the party that night. She asked her parents if she could watch the real people Star Trek. Oh, the real people Star Trek. That's adorable. Yeah. And so, you know what? Try and try as one might to try to make these fit canon canonically. Like, I'm okay if they're never done so. And if you can inspire a little kid to want to watch Star Trek, like, cool. I'm so happy for that. That's amazing. I'm not much of a stickler for canon either. I like observing it and trying to figure it out, but more from a puzzle perspective than a angry fan perspective. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's fun. I mean, it can be a fun experiment to like, how can we make this fit? Versus, why doesn't this fit? Rah, rah, rah. Yeah, I mean, nobody has that problem with the Legend of Zelda video games. They do try to make it all fit into a single timeline, but it never stops them from enjoying the games. Yeah, yeah. And so, if you're one of those people, I strongly suggest, you know, I just shrug your shoulders and go, you want this may not be for me, but I'm glad it exists. Although it will be interesting if this content somehow does tie into future episodes of Discovery, because that would give it more evidence to be canon. Yeah, absolutely. Like maybe it'll fit later, but or some parts of it will. Maybe, but even then, it's like mm. if not, cool. I had this fun little jaunt, and oh my gosh! Also, there was so many people. I saw multiple comments of, did anyone notice that the Enterprise was labeled Enterprise A? Um, excuse me? In the movies, it was still the Enterprise at this point, and there was no A. And like multiple people made the comment of, did anyone else notice this? Instead of just replying to each other. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, so they didn't... So right there, it, it breaks canon. It's just, okay, sure. And one person's like, you know what? I'd look at this, or I'm going to look at this as like, some future generation making cartoons about with, about some of the legends and legacies of 
uh, Starfleet's past. <laughs> like, sure, cool. That would explain the bouncing around. That would explain how everyone knows about the mycelia network. That would explain why it says Enterprise A instead of not A, no bloody A. Uh, <laughs> well, kind of like how the series finale for Enterprise was actually a holodeck program. Yeah. And one of the neat things about that framing of that episode was that it means we're not watching what happened. We're watching a recording of what happened, and that can get the facts wrong. So if this can be a documentary about tardigrades, who knows what they got wrong? And besides, the animated series has never been canon. Why stop now? Right, right. Or even that one uh, living witness from Voyager where it's like thirty, the year 3500 and they see and they, they're recreating... Uh, their history based on this, like, backup yes, of the doctor that they episode. found. I love that episode. Yeah. That was so much fun. So it sounds like we enjoyed this episode? I really did. I'm sorry, I don't want to speak with you, for you, but I really did. I enjoyed it too, although I will say that Ephraim has really bad taste in, in what it thinks is a safe space to plant an egg. <laughs> well, she was just digging. All of a sudden, this massive thing comes by. And, oh, that was a fun little effect too. Like, she's chasing the Enterprise through this network. Like, she, uh, as it's warping around these places, she can just chase it around, and and it was a fun little thing. Oh, I forgot we mentioned there were Tholians and the Planet Eater too in that little scene oh, yeah. of the Enterprise warping around. I counted at least ten TOS episodes or movies in this one animated short. Yeah, oh, that was so much, it was so much fun. Like a little John through uh, TOS history, and like oh, this is fun. Although they really are playing to the people who have been around this franchise for a long time. I suspect most of those references will be lost on most of the people who watch this episode. Yeah, I think that's fair. And but maybe it will uh, but maybe if those in the future if they do go back and watch like <gasps> and they can have the same reaction I did. I was like, "Ah, oh, cool. Sulu doing a thing. Oh, the, the Tholians. Oh, the Abraham Lincoln sitting on a chair in space. It makes no sense. But imagine watching <laughs> The Wrath of Khan and instead of saying, oh my gosh, that's the guy from Space Seed. You're going to say, that's the guy from Ephraim and Dot. Uh, maybe. I mean, I, to be honest, I might have seen the movie first in my, when I was little. I'm sure I did too. All right. Shall we move on to the next episode? Yeah. Uh, the Girl Who Made the Stars. Yeah. So this is another animated short. And the TLDR for this one is that... Michael Burnham, as a kid, is having a nightmare, so her dad tells her the story about how a thousand centuries ago... A thousand millennia or a thousand centuries? Anyway. Um, gosh, I don't remember the exact time span, but a long time ago, in a galaxy not too far away. And her dad tells her a story about how a long time ago in Africa, there were no stars, and everybody was afraid to go out at night because the angry giant snake god would eat them at night. And then one time, this little girl goes out to try to expand her tribe's territory and she gets lost but she is saved by the light from some crashed alien ship and the alien ship gives her this thing that says you don't need to be afraid at night you have the light and you have to not be afraid and so she opens it up and it puts all the stars in the sky and her tribe is never afraid of the night anymore but it was all just a metaphor for the light inside her you just have to be brave and not be afraid and then michael burnham is no longer afraid to sleep at night and she asks her dad to turn off the nightlight yeah, very short and simple. I found this a sweet little story. Apparently, it's based loosely off a real myth. I think I've heard that before, actually, but I, I honestly do not know the name of it off the top of my head. I wouldn't be surprised if this was based on some mythology that you and I may be unfamiliar with, but that is really cool. I also like that it's kind of got a, you know, we kind of change our stories somewhat through time, slightly. It just just happens in real life. I, of course, I can't think of any examples off the top of my head. But like some nursery rhymes have changed 
or whatnot. And I can see like this being, I can see it plausible that this story has changed uh, in some ways in a couple hundred years to making like an alien involvement, (laughs) helping share the light. That felt plausible. Would it happen? No idea, but plausible. Things change over time. Words mean change over the time. Although it did remind me in that sense of the Enterprise episode Carbon Creek, where humanity had an encounter with an alien species well before first contact was officially documented. And they had no idea. And they invented Velcro. (laughs) To this day, every day I go change the uh, Velcro Wikipedia article. (laughs) Someone just keeps going from putting back the false truth of reality. I love it. That that article should be locked, honestly. <laughs> I love the animation on this one, too. It's a very different style, but both of them were gorgeous. Yes, this one was CGI, and the previous one was hand-drawn. So if they're trying to establish like a consistent style or aesthetic, I'm not sure why they went with two different animation styles released on the same day. I don't know if they were going for consistency. And the first one was CGI, too, just a different style. Right. I mean, I think all animation today is computer-assisted, but it felt like the first one was largely hand-drawn. Like, like it felt, what was it? What's the word? Closer to, like, Looney Tunes? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But also, now that I think about it, I th- isn't CBS working on two different animated series? I know for one for sure, Lower Decks with Dude What Does, Rick and Morty. Right. And then they're doing another one for Nickelodeon. Oh, I don't, I don't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, so I think maybe that's what we're seeing is the basically the not the proof of concepts or the pilots, but just a teaser for each of these episodes. I think one might be Lower Decks style of animation and one might be the Nickelodeon animation. I, I would not be surprised if the girl who made the stars is the Nickelodeon one because that seemed much more kid-oriented. I mean, both of them kind of were, but especially the girl who made the stars. Oh, very possible. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like uh, young Michael is very adorable. She's like, computer, aluminum, (laughs) and trying to get the lights to turn on. Although, did you notice that Michael (laughs) was sleeping with a stuffed tardigrade? Yeah, that was adorable. This again goes back to, is it canon? Because how could she be sleeping with a tardigrade like decades before they encounter it? I don't think they, I'm not 100%, I don't remember now, to be honest. I just, I'm not 100% sure they didn't know they exist. I just didn't uh, know that they traveled this way. I, I honestly don't remember. I'd have to rewatch those early episodes to recall if Discovery Season 1 is where they discovered them or if they just discovered what they could do. I think it was the other ship that was experimenting with the Mushroom Drive that attracted one of these things and captured it to try to make it power the thing. Yeah. So, I mean, it's all it kind of sounds a little familiar, but it's a little foggy. I guess that means I have to go watch again. Start with Season 1, Episode 1. Just go right through. Yep. <laughs> Did you like the story that her dad told her? Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I'm pretty sure this is based loosely based off a real one that I've heard before. And so, because a lot of it didn't feel, a lot of it did not feel new. It was just like a new retelling of it. And yeah, I thought, I thought that was a fun little story. I don't know what tale it may have been based on, but it did remind me very much of Moana, the Disney movie, because it's about this young girl who's encouraging her people to expand their boundaries. And the response is, no, we're too scared to do that. You don't do that in this family. Also, you're a girl. Uh. <laughs> I mean, that's the reaction they both got. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah. And so to answer your question, like the story, I was like, uh, yeah, I mean, I heard, I've heard it before, but I enjoyed this telling of it. Cool. And we've heard the story before, or, or we've heard Michael reference it on the show. 
in season two. When was that? Oh, that was uh, Discovery episode Brother. And what was the reference? Uh, she recalled the story while preparing to meet her foster brother, Spock. Oh, I don't remember that. Interesting. I guess I should also go back and rewatch it all. Thank you, Wig- uh, Memory Alpha, for helping me with that. I would not have remembered that at all. Well, anything else? Which is also the episode where we first saw an old-timey video reel-like thing in, in episode Brother. It was for the Cassini. Anything else to say about the girl who made the stars? We came into this, I told you, like, I don't have much to say, and, like, I really don't. I just thought, enjoyed it, and I kind of told you about the, the story of the little girl who wanted to watch a real people Star Trek now, and I just enjoyed it. I had fun. I'm not quite sure I understood the end of the parable, because she opened up this alien canister, and it put the stars in the sky. Clearly, that's not literal, because there were stars, the alien came from somewhere, and they say later that it was a metaphor for the light that was inside her, but how could the light inside her inspire the tribal elders to also be brave that just doesn't i feel like i'm missing something i don't know if i'm the one to answer that for you uh (laughs) um she helped lead them to new lands to new to new worlds (laughs) she did eventually become a queen who threw spears into Uh the mouths of snakes and that is very inspiring but she probably wasn't doing that as a little girl so i'm just wondering like what was I feel like we saw a metaphor, and I want to know literally what happened. Oh, she was just inspiring. She, he was just trying to ins- help Michael be brave, and then it's, and then just ends caps the story as that little girl became queen. And this is why I'm not a parent, because I'd be like, no, they all died <laughs> at the end. Don't you understand? Don't do that. <laughs> no. Now that we have these two animated episodes collectively released, some questions I have are. Why do you think they released them at the same time? Because they're historically happy to dole them out on a monthly basis. So why did we get a double dose this month? Any theories? They were very short. Were they shorter than other short tracks? Because last month, when you cut out the opening and closing credits, was about five minutes. All right, that wasn't it. Um, they're both animated. Uh, Christmas time. People are home for the holidays. Uh... <laughs> We are going to be nice and not try to milk people for an extra 6 or $10 this month. I mean, you could say that they overproduce and realize, oh, we need to get these out more quickly if we want to meet our timeline for when Discovery Season 3 starts. But they still could have done it like a week apart, which I think is how this season of Short Treks began, was two Short Treks a week apart. Uh, it could be that there wasn't much to digest and they just want people to watch and enjoy. And it's holiday season too. People are watching with their families. Here you go. Yeah, or maybe they want to, I mean, kind of like when you release a new podcast, they, quote unquote, they recommend that you release three episodes simultaneously so that if somebody likes the first episode, they don't have to wait for the second one. They can immediately binge the debut of your podcast. Maybe that's what they're trying to do here. They have something new that they're doing, animation, and they want everybody to not have to wait to see, is this just a one-off or are they going to do it again? They're immediately saying, no, this is a thing. We're doing more of this. I also like they would know the Redditors would be upset if they did two months of animated shorts in a row. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I guess, yeah, kind of like how when Zelda Wind Waker came out, somebody's like, I don't like that style of animation. They didn't immediately do another one. They immediately went back with Twilight Princess and did a dark Zelda. So you're right. If they did one animated month and somebody didn't like it and they were like, too bad, we're doing it again next month. You're right. That would not go over well. That's a good theory. I... I'm not dark lord over CBS, and so I can only 
guess at best here. People they do some weird things. Yeah, I just I'm just I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm thinking out loud. Uh but I don't think I have anything more. Also, in a previous episode of Transporter Lock, you had seen the teaser for these episodes, which I had not. You said that they were doing something that they've never done before. And I, referring to the animated series from the 70s, said, you mean they're doing something they haven't done in 40 years? And you said, no, they're doing something they've never done before. And we left it at that because I don't like spoilers. But now that we've seen it, do you remember what you were referring to? Oh, CGI animation. And basically. Oh, CGI. Okay. So that, yes, you're right. That is new. That is something that they've never done before. Interesting. So that's our summary for the two animated short treks that debuted this month. But there is a little bit more Star Trek news we want to talk about this month. And it's not great news, unfortunately. We have suffered a series of very unfortunate and very significant losses of Star Trek cast and crew. And it would be remiss of us to not acknowledge their amazing contributions to this franchise and our culture and also their loss. Let's start with, chronologically through the series, DC Fontana, who died December 2nd at 80 years old. Can you tell us a little bit about her work, Brie? Oh, DC Fontana, she's like one of the reasons like Star Trek really exists these days. She was one of the most prolific um, writers back in the day. Uh, she did, um, how many episodes was it? I think we got 12, we counted episodes from TOS. I've lost the page, of course, already. And given that TOS only lasted for 60-something episodes, that's a lot of, proportionally, of episodes. Yeah, Charlie X, one of the first ones, Journey to Babel, The Side of Paradise, The Enterprise Incident. She did a bunch of those episodes, and she did some novels. She did uh, Vulcan Soul. I don't know if I've ever read that, but I remember seeing it in the library in middle school. It was like the first uh, mission Spock had on the, Inter- on the Enterprise with Pike. And she later went on to do some TOS, or TNG. Uh, she did the pilot. She did Encounter at Farpoint. A handful of other episodes. And she even wrote one for DS9, uh, Dax. Oh, that was a good one. Yeah. And she did a lot of writing for other series too, including some series that I have on DVD and recently watched, both Reboot and Beast Wars. And as you picked up, the episode of Reboot that she did was titled Where No Sprite Has Gone Before. <laughs> yeah, fun little thing. I mean, that's fun. I don't know if the episode has anything to do with that or not, but it's cool. I mean, she also did things like Dallas, the Waltons, <laughs> uh, Babylon 5. And Star Trek New Voyages. Yes, yes, she did uh, one of the fan series. It starred Walter Koenig. Yeah. Ah, what a loss. It's a shame. It really is. Apparently, Roddenberry told her, like, don't put... Don't put Dorothy, as your name on these scripts, put DC Fontana. That way no one knows you're a woman because Hollywood is sexist. I am too, but Hollywood is more. <laughs> That's why Roddenberry. <laughs> I can see that both ways. But the very first episode you mentioned that she worked on was Charlie X. And three days later, on December 5th, we lost Charlie X himself, Robert Walker, at age 79. Yeah. I've seen the episode a few times, and I don't know much about him himself. But, I mean, it's just one of the first episodes. It's very prolific. And even um, Star Trek, a uh, new vo- – the one with um, – the recent Star Trek series, the last one that's going to be like an hour-long show, like a reboot of the original series. Uh, Star Trek continues, the continuation of uh, the original series, doing their best to recreate, like, be those actors from the original series and make more stories in that universe – the final episode had to do with people like Charlie X um, and his and like the people who basically became, people who basically became gods and 
the finale for Star Trek continues, touched on the Charlie X episodes, basically bringing like the first main episode in line with the very final episode. It's very cool. Huh. That's some nice continuity. Interesting. And then two days later, after Robert Walker died, on December 7th, we lost Michael Lamper. He may not be known very much for his Star Trek performances. He was an actor and a rock guitarist, but he did appear in a third season episode of TNG, The Vengeance Factor. Not only that, but sometime after that episode, he also married Marina Sirtis, who played Counselor Troy on TNG. And he passed away at the age of 61. So our hearts go out to him and his family and to Maria Sirtis and her family. So young. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, 61, I was like, so old. But now that I'm in my 40s, I'm like, that's young. <laughs> I understand that. <laughs> I'm getting there too. And then we also lost two very significant DS9 actors. One of them, we've done Transporter Lock episodes since then, but it hasn't come up. On September 21st, we lost Aaron Eisenberg at the age of 50. He played Nog, Jake's friend, and Rom's son and Quark's nephew on DS9, Aaron Eisenberg. Yeah, oh, he was one of my favorite characters on Deep Space Nine, and he has like one of the best story arcs throughout the series. Yeah, I really enjoyed that, how he and this human were great friends, and the human, Jake, his dad was a Starfleet commander, and so Jake was expected to go into Starfleet. But no, it was Nog. Nog who went to Starfleet and became the first Ferengi to do so. I, and also just the way that he connected with Vic Fontaine and his whole experience with the Dominion War is just such a great character. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, no, I, I just when I did my rewatch like what, a year or two ago, I was like, yeah, <laughs> this is so cool. I just love him. And he was such a passionate person, as we just saw on the DS9 documentary that you and I reviewed. I mean, he was literally in <laughs> tears about what a magical time DS9 was for him. Yeah, and he was also had no problem having it up, <laughs> retelling the story. Like, like uh, when they when they did the fictional season eight and his ship, like he dies like right away. He just pretends to like blow up when he's being recorded on film talking about DS9. It's like, what? You effing did this? You effing did this? Do not kill Nog. You do not kill Nog. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, he burned brightly. And then finally, and most recently, on December 8th, the same day that we lost Carol Spinney, who played Big Bird, we lost Rene Aubergenois, who played Odo on Deep Space Nine. Yeah, this one, that one really hurt too. I knew him first from Deep Space Nine. Later when I discovered that he was Benson, or on Benson, excuse me, and I would see him appear later on like Fraser. He was on Enterprise. Uh, he did a bunch of stuff. I, uh, he was also in Avatar Last Airbender, which is something that's near and dear to me. Uh, so I would hear his voice anywhere. And both of us, both um, Aaron and Renee would do voice work for Star Trek, uh, the MMO, the Star Trek Online, and they continue their characters there. So, I mean, he kept appearing everywhere, and both of them do. And it's really sad to see him go. I mean, he was, I think, 81. He was getting up there. He was 79. It's it's just a bummer. 79? Okay, I was close, but... Didn't he show up at the very end of Star Trek IV, but that scene was cut? Oh, yeah, yeah, he was um, Colonel West, I think. Uh, thank you, Star Trek, the card game. He he had a very small appearance in there. Same with, like, Worf, I think. No, no, that was Star Trek Six. Yeah. Yeah, I sometimes forget that DS9 went off the air 20 years ago, and that's a long time. Yeah. And, you know, Rene was already 
older than many of the actors on that show. I mean, there is a whole episode where Dr. Bashir is like, I'm so old, I'm turning 30. And I'm like, well, you know, Renee was already in his <laughs> oh, late Oh, sweet 50s. child. You know, he, he was 30 years older than, he was twice Bashir's age. And so 20 <laughs> years later, it really shouldn't be surprising. But given that we all just saw these actors in the documentary and they all looked so well not that long ago, it still comes as a surprise when we lose them. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad they did the documentary when they did. Yeah. I know they, like the documentary can be kind of like polarizing for some with how it was done, but I'm glad that all the actors got back together and could talk about yeah. the show. Well, I had the fortune to meet Rene Auberjonois at a Star Trek convention in Boston a few years ago. I paid for him to sign an 8 by 10 glossy photo of himself. And you know, I like to have the actor say to Ken with their signature. And he had only written his name. He didn't say it to Ken. And I said, could you please make it out to Ken? And he said, yes, for an extra $10 donated to Doctors Without Borders, which I did. <laughs> he was a ardent supporter of that organization. I tweeted that story. And Doctors Without Borders tweeted back and said, yes, he was one of our biggest supporters. And also... My tweet asked people to make a donation to Doctors Without Borders. And not only did many people tweet back to me with screenshots of their receipts to say, great idea, thank you for suggesting it, I have made a donation, but also there is still somebody running Rene Abajanois' Twitter account and they retweeted my tweet. And so I'm hopeful that a lot of people saw this and not only recognized the great work he did over his life, but also are now honoring that life by making their own donations. And if you want to make a donation, there'll be a link in the show notes for this podcast at transporterlock.com. I, I, as you were telling your story, I remember he was one of the two Star Trek actors I saw at a Star Trek convention. Only two? Yeah, I've only gone to one Star Trek convention. And this was, God, it had to be 1992 or 93 because Voyager had not come out yet, but we knew it was coming out. We had some pictures and TV guide. And it was a Star Trek convention in Minneapolis. I saw Gates McFadden and I saw Rene Abergenois. <laughs> hmm. I don't remember much about it. I was pretty young, but I did get to see him and that was really cool. Oh, that's great. Yay. Well, I think on that note, we have covered a lot on this episode, two animated series and five unfortunate passings. Let's try to make the next episode upbeat, which means that nobody else we care about, anything bad is allowed to happen to them. <laughs> no more. That's right. Well, we'll be in the future in 2020. So, uh, you know, things can only look up. That's right. And we hope that you all join us as well. And in the meantime, I am Chief Engineer Ken Gagney. And I am Captain Sabriel Mastin. And this is Constable Odo. Well, at least now in my obituary, it's not going to say best known as Clayton Endicott III on Benson because he was a wonderful, funny character, but he was a nitwit. And, and so now... What can I say? I, 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 I've, I don't know what else to say.